been enjoying um, Right or Wrong. How long have you been doing this? Uh, we started in we started pre-production around August, and I think we aired first week of September. So it hasn't been that long. Tell me about your background and your education, and then like how you got to let's start a podcast. I went to the University of North Texas, and I studied painting and drawing as well as music composition. So that, that's sort of where where I could, the world that I come from is really music. And then I started getting into musical theater and writing musical theater scores and creating new works in the musical theater world about maybe 10 years ago and had a little bit of success there and had the um, opportunity to do some really cool workshops in New York and got invited to do some interesting work up there in the city. And from there, started writing more and getting more into script writing and then screenwriting. And then around a year and a half ago, I had in some fugue state came up with the idea for right or wrong, although I was committed to some other projects at the time. And then those went away with the pandemic. And we were like, well, maybe it's time to do this. So I ran it by my partner, Marlo Myslevich, who's also the producer of the show. And we got it going. That's awesome. So what is right or wrong for those who haven't heard of it? And how did you and your team conceive of it? Yeah, so right or wrong is a chapter based fiction serial. So it's it's an audio play audio drama, like other podcasts. However, we also have a talking heads segment with me and other guest hosts to discuss the process of creating the stories and writing the stories and where we should go next. And then sprinkled in there, we open up options to our listenership for them to vote via our website or Instagram on where they think the show should go next, how it should continue. And so we take all that information and then we move on to the next chapter of the story. And each story is typically three chapters long. So they're all kind of in threes. That's awesome. So why did you guys decide instead of, you know, just a serialized fiction podcast to allow the audience to participate? So because of my musical theater background and my new works background in theater, I have a real, that's where my love is, just new works in general. And so along the way, I've developed a kind of a specific skill set in developing new works and had a lot of great mentorship and what it is to create new work and how to get it out there. So I thought it would be interesting to not only create some new pieces, but invite the audience into that writer's room to kind of have a virtual experience there and, and sort of an open dialogue about what's working, what's not working, how should we move forward? And because I think that's something that a lot of consumers of media don't have the opportunity to do, especially if they're not in the arts sector in general. Yeah, I know when everything shut down, the Royal Shakespeare Company, like, put out all of their stuff online for free, but you were still missing that part that you get as an audience member watching live theater, which is that like group energy that pushes the play along. So that's great that you guys found a way to incorporate that and include the audience. So I think a lot of theaters and artists right now are looking to pivot towards these radio plays and these podcasts as an avenue of making art. So give us like the nitty gritty, what are the A to Z's to producing a podcast? Like all the unglamorous parts of it. 
as you might imagine out there, audience, there's a lot of work, right? I mean, as Sterling can attest to, I'm sure. So there's a lot that goes into it. I would say there's three main components as far as the umbrella of, of producing a show. And that is all of the pre-production elements. So all of the production calendar, for right or wrong, since we're also an audio play within the Talking Heads segment, we have to do casting, we have to do all of that stuff. So getting all of those ducks in a row and planning out your season. Then there is the technical side. So you have to know how you're going to create this content from a physical standpoint. You know, what equipment do you need? How are you going to get it out into the ether? You know, there are different services that help you aggregate your content to Spotify or Apple or all that. So getting all those ducks in a row. And then third is the, all of the engagements. You know, how do you get people to listen to it? So the social media, planning all of that content, having, having all of that lined up and scheduled out, uh, audience engagement, figuring out different ways to do that. And then, of course, ongoing support with Patreon and, and all that type of thing. Those are the three basic building blocks, I would say, is, is your production calendar, your social media engagement, and the technical aspect as well. And how are you finding your voice actors right now? Are you calling your friends in the industry or? To a certain extent, yeah. Uh, some of the people that we've worked with have been artists that we've worked with in the past. Marlo's a professional stage manager, so she's pulled from some shows that she stage managed here in town. I've pulled from some people that I've worked with some of my own shows that I've done years back. And then asking them, do they know anybody? And going going from there, we've also put out some sort of open calls and found some people that way that have auditioned properly, you know, properly in quotes, with voice acting reels or whatever. And we've pulled from from as well. And we've also had some newcomers who have just expressed some interest, and we sort of give them a shot off mic, you know, see how it goes, and give them a shot on mic, you know. So I think it's it's been interesting to see people's different theater creators approach to this medium since, you know, there's no visual element. So there are people that wouldn't normally get on a stage, but might get behind a mic and they have a lot of skill, but because there's not as much pressure because they're not being looked at, you know? So. Yeah. And I would think as well, that applies to the writers too, because I was listening to an episode where one of the characters was like, describing like oh you, your your clothing is so ratty and torn and tear and normally that would just be a stage direction and you wouldn't need to audibly point that out but I bet that's a huge challenge for your writers as well to go oh no that doesn't work for a audio medium let's change it up yeah there's a very interesting uh, balancing act there where there's some things you can do in the format that you can't do on stage and then there's other things obviously where you do have to rely on narration and trying to find interesting ways to narrate where it's not just someone talking at you as a listener, you know? So sometimes we have full-blown narration. Other times we have characters who are in essentially narrating, but really it's still within the world of the show, package it in different ways. But yeah, you can't just, a listener doesn't know what they look like unless you tell them what they look like, so... Yeah. What about things like sound production? Like if I set down my cup or I scoot back a chair, are you guys doing that in post or are the actors doing that? That's all in post. So I, okay. I, yeah, I source from some libraries that I subscribe to or I create some Foley stuff myself. That's cool. That's very impressive. What about how long do your writers have between the end of one episode 
to gather the feedback and then next episode has to be ready to go. If we air an episode, say on a Thursday, then we'll have the voting open for the next four or five days. And once that's done, then I can really get after what's going to happen in the next chapter. Sometimes the voting comes in so strong for one option that I don't have to, you know, I can sort of get a little bit of a head start anticipating that it's going to hold, you know, if option A is, you know, has 50 more votes or whatever within a day that, you know, that one's probably going to be the stronger option. So, but to answer your question in a short way, it's about 48 hours is what I have okay. to burn around, you know, about 25 to 30 pages to the actors so they can sit with it for a couple of days before we then record a couple of days after that. So it's pretty condensed. How big is your team right now? As far as the production team, it's just me, Marlo, the, our producer, Marlo Myslevich, and we have an assistant director, Cody Dry, and we have Tyler Lucas, who is going to be our sort of permanent co-host for the next season, and then we're going to bring in a third person, so the, the studio elements could have three people instead of two, which is kind of a cool thing happening for the second season. And then we have our team, we have our stable of actors who we refer to as the right or wrong rogues. And we've pretty much used the same people for every story thus far. And that's right around eight to 10 people. Yeah, that, that's kind of the team. Although, you know, as far as creating the work, it's really just me, actually. So do you mind? I know this wasn't anything I said we would talk about, but do you mind just for people who aren't familiar with right or wrong or haven't got a chance to listen yet? just giving us a synopsis of your stories that are out right now. Yeah, absolutely. So right or wrong takes place in a uh, set universe, a set town called Griverton, which is an anagram for right or wrong. So all of the stories take place in this town. So there's some interrelated elements uh, as the, as the stories go from, from one to another, it starts out with a story called spines, which is about a, bookshop owner named Rory Millerson who encounters a cult, essentially, which you find out over time, they have a, a very specific reason that they're trying to do something in Rory's bookshop. So that one's kind of a horror comedy for that type of genre. The next one is called The Grivertones, which is about Griverton, the towns. They're uh, an acapella performance group or, or a vocal performance group in uh, Griverton. They're called The Grivertones. That one's sort of a comic book whodunit Scooby-Doo sort of feel. It's more PG than Spines, which is Spines has some like blue humor and language, uh, which works for the story. But we want to try and, you know, flex a different muscle for the next one. So the Grivertones is sort of sort of a musical and very kid-friendly and uh, straight comedy with a little bit of whodunit going on. Then the third story is our pretty much a straight-up drama called The Canyon, although it does have some magical realism elements, which is typical of everything that we're doing. And that is a generational tale about the history of Riverton Canyon, which is large expanse. It looks, it's, it's more like a ravine almost that opened up in Riverton about a, a hundred years ago. And it's not just a naturally occurring phenomenon. So what you learn is, is that something happened to create this crack in the earth. And it's told over three different generations. That's called the canyon, which is more serious than the other two, I would, I would say, in terms of dramatic effect. So something for everybody so far. Yeah, it's been for me. I, I listened to the Spine series and it was a good like palate cleanser podcast because I tend to 
get into the morbid true crime stuff. And then you finish and you're like, oh, I feel terrible. So (laughs) it's like a light, comical place to go, which has been nice. What are you guys all recording together right now? Are you going to a studio? Right now I'm using Common Desk here in Deep Ellum. I live in Deep Ellum. So they have a lot of really great large conference rooms because, you know, everything's safety first as far as our production side. So we don't bring everybody in at the same time, obviously. That's crazy right now. So we bring in people one at a time. Sometimes we'll do scene partners and we'll just kind of keep them really far apart and, you know, different ends of the conference room. But because of the pandemic, obviously, we have to be super careful. And so it takes a long time, you know, to get break down everything as far as getting the recording done. Although we do knock it out pretty fast because we have to because of the voting. But additionally, what helps is we do have some people that do record remotely. Every story so far has had a couple actors, at least, recording remotely, which is a challenge because there's all kinds of different qualities out there as far as the audio goes and, you know, using all kinds of different equipment or whatever. So trying to place that in the same audio play world takes a lot of manipulation, but... Sure. That's so interesting because I there's a common desk that's walking distance from where I live. So I've been thinking about getting a membership and just toting my stuff over to their conference rooms. I highly recommend it. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Well, you always ask your co-host, and I hope you don't mind if I steal it just for this episode, what kind of art or media they are consuming right now. So I was curious what kind of art and media you are consuming and like, what are your Netflix recommendations? I don't know if I have anything new to recommend as far as streaming stuff, because what I just did, I finally finished all of Broadchurch. If you're into that kind of genre, are you familiar with that? David Tennant and Olivia Coleman. It's an English crime, you know, police procedural kind of the height of the form, in my opinion. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so well done. Obviously, there's a ton of that type of content out there, but I do recommend Broadchurch. It's been over for a few years now. And for some reason, I just never finished it. So I, I went back and did that. So highly recommend that if you're into those types of things out there, friends. But nothing new. I've kind of, you know, the problem with doing right or wrong is that there's not a whole lot of time for me to, uh, <laughs> to watch or listen to stuff. I did hear about a book recently about the historical placement of Kid A, Radiohead's seminal album, Kid A, and talking about the era of late 90s, early 2000s, and how that album's super important and representative of that time, which I haven't read that, but I recommend that too, because it sounds really cool. I've been doing that thing since the pandemic started, where I, I haven't started anything new, because it just feels like so much work to me. And so I've just been like rewatching like trash TV, like the worst shows that I've ever watched, but it's like a comfort watch. Of course, of course. Um, So yeah, I, I want to watch the Mandalorian. I want to watch Bridgerton, but I sit down and I'm like, or I could just clean and rewatch. I know. I think stupid. I keep seeing uh, Bridgerton come across, you know, my Netflix Rex or whatever. I'm like, ah, I want to uh, watch it. We'll get to it. Yeah. yeah right? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know when I, I'm going to do it, but it looks good. I've heard it's good. So, yeah. Have you seen I'm a OA evangelist? Have you seen the OA on Netflix? Oh, no. I've heard good things about it. It's, it's incredible. And I don't like 
sci-fi. I could not get into fantasy, like Game of Thrones. I wanted to like it. Not your Star Wars. I wanted to like it. Yeah. Because I want to be in with what everyone's <laughs> talking about. And so I was like, I'm not going to like OA. And my friend begged me to watch it. And thank God I did. It's incredible. It's multiple seasons at this point? It's two. And because they didn't have a big enough following, they stopped making it. So I'm hoping if I tell enough people, they'll like bring it back. Okay. Well, hey, I'll add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is great. You kind of like knocked this out of the park. I know it was shorter than usual, but. Oh, well, hey, yeah, super fun. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a great conversation. Can you tell us where we can listen to Right or Wrong and how audiences can support you? Yeah, so right now we actually are in the final stages of a Kickstarter that we have rolled out, which you can find us at, at Right or Wrong on Kickstarter, trying to fund or help fund our second season, our upcoming second season. And then we're on Patreon, Right or Wrong Podcast at patreon.com. But as far as just getting into the show and, and checking us out, Right or Wrong Podcast.com through our website, you can stream it there. And then we're on all of the services, Spotify, Apple, Google, all of them, Stitcher, all of that stuff. So it's typically just Right or Wrong Podcast or at Right or Wrong Pod, you know, you'll, you'll find us. Awesome. Well, Patrick, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for the conversation. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your uh, weekend. Hopefully you have a day off tomorrow with holiday. Yeah. Uh, well, enjoy your Sunday. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, y'all. That was Patrick, who is the producer, creator, host, writer, and editor of Writer Wrong. Big shout out to Marlo, their producer, for setting up this interview today. As soon as you're done listening to this episode, go to writerwrongpodcast.com. And if you can, donate to their Kickstarter campaign. As a small podcaster myself, I can tell you your dollar is going to go so far and do so much and be highly, highly appreciated. And if you can't give a monetary value, just share their podcast with anyone you know, take a screenshot on your phone, upload it to social media, send their website along to someone. It makes a big, big difference and happy listening. We will see you in two more weeks.